Today's episode is brought to you by Arrowhead Coffee. Canadian veteran-owned Arrowhead Coffee. Coffee that inspires and supports veterans, first responders, and their families. To order your delicious Arrowhead Coffee, visit arrowhead.coffee. Now that's not arrowhead.com or arrowhead.ca, it's arrowhead.coffee on the Googleizer. And save 10% with discount code OPTR10. That's Oscar, Papa, Tango, Romeo, 10. And get yours today. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And we're rolling in three, two, one, cue music! go got me on the line today uh youtube star well a uh, instagram star anyway i'm still learning all this stuff and so glad to have you on erica Gaines. welcome to operation tango romeo thank you so much for having me i'm excited me too pleasure and an honor now uh so interesting the space that you're in uh, doing work with and, and helping and supporting our first responders, in particular police, and yet you yourself don't have a police or military background. How in the heck did you fall into this arena and why? Um, so I I sell switchblades. It's kind of like a side gig that I have, which... That's badass. Say, yeah. I mean, you guys don't really get to see them because you guys are in Canada. Yeah, not allowed. It, you know, we might... Uh, you're not allowed to run with scissors up here either. You can get yourself cut. <laughs> yeah. So I started doing, um, so at different police trainings, they'll have like, you know, exhibitor days. And so I would go to the different trade shows just selling knives. And um, so that was kind of my introduction to the culture of law enforcement. And that was back in 2013. And and I've kind of been doing it ever since. So that was my intro to who police are. And over the years, I've just kind of just become friends with everyone. Like, you know, there's always like the meet and greet, like vendor night, you know, when the keg comes out and the free appetizers come out. Before you got into that world, did you have any preconceived notions of uh, police? And did those change? Um, I mean, yeah, like I... I did not have, like, I didn't grow up with parents telling me to love law enforcement or support law enforcement or telling me any great stories at all. Um, I I heard terrible stories, um, and then I had a lot of family members that had, um, that made some um, unhelpful choices that put them into some interesting experiences with police officers, which led to a lot of stories. So I don't think that I ever had like a good perspective necessarily of police, but I never, 
I didn't feel good or bad towards them. I just sort of had this information and it was just kind of like not great. But, um, you know, my brother-in-law at the time, he was one of the owners of the company and I was doing accounting at the time. And so they actually brought me in to do their accounting and it just sort of worked out. And I then ended up found myself, you know, doing sales and it was like, oh, okay, I'm pretty good at this. And then next thing I know, I'm just becoming friends with all these people and we're just kicking it and it's cool and it's fun. You know, mind you, I'm in their setting, like I'm in their space. So what you see from the inside is just totally different than the outside. So right now, what do you you see as some of the biggest misconceptions of our police force from your perspective? Biggest misconceptions. Um, a good one is that that there aren't officers who are actively trying to make law enforcement systems better. I think that a lot of people assume that because there are a lot of like vi- there's a lot of visuals out there that that means that it's like one broad stroke. That, that the public has painted police officers like this one type of video or these one types of videos that that means that everyone is like that. So then that, so if you think that, then that also means that you assume that nothing good is happening. So it's just kind of like this unconscious thought that a lot of people have. And some people say it, but a lot of people just sort of like they act as if there are no good officers out there or, they act as if there aren't officers who are like invested in change. Tell me about TAC Mobility. How did that get started? Um, that got started by doing the the vendor shows and and drinking with police officers and hearing all of the stories that were just like just really fucked up stories about things that they've seen. Um, trying to just navigate my way through cop humor and just being like traumatized half the time by what everyone's fucking talking about. <laughs> Did you just say that? The fuck? It's yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got like people who are first responders, there's definitely a, I mean, it's a coping mechanism, so it's definitely unique, but it's hard to get used to for sure. So tack mobility started because I was hearing a lot of stories that made me feel like, okay, I wonder if you're okay. And, you know, a lot of my friends were like, no, we're fine. We're good. We're good. And I'm also a certified yoga instructor and I studied trauma yoga and understanding the physical impacts of stress and just how really basic the human body is in terms of what it does when it's experiencing stress. And I was like, well, just based off of science, that's probably not true. And so I started researching some statistics just to kind of understand a little bit better, um, like the whole picture of what's going on. Um, and that's when I just started finding out that there was a lack of statistics available. So I started making my own. So I came up with a national survey. Um, so law enforcement officers in the U S um, can fill out this anonymous survey. And it was from all of that content that I was like, man, I got to, I got to see what I can do with this. And so I thought, oh, I'll just do tactical yoga because I know yoga and you guys are tactical. So we'll just do tactical yoga. And it turns out that that was still a really big, (laughs) still a really big challenge. Um, 
cops just aren't doing yoga. So I it, kind of sat there's down. more and more. It's it's a growing thing. It's a growing thing, but it's what I realized is it's not a it's not that they won't do yoga. It's that yoga isn't accessible in terms of there's a language barrier. And so I just sat down with all of the language that I had learned over the years. Um, and then I sat down with the data from the surveys. Um, and that's, you know, very, very candid, vulnerable information. And program was born. What sort of stuff was discovered in the survey? Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Um, one of the interesting ones, interesting findings is that a majority of the officers who consider their mental health to be content also note depression, chronic back pain, insomnia, isolation, um, obsessive thinking. So it was kind of interesting to find out that, oh, maybe there's just this like lack of awareness of what stress symptoms look like. Maybe that's the issue. So like, yeah, maybe stigma is a part of it for sure, for fucking sure. But <laughs> there's also... I think just people don't know what they're looking for. Cause right. again, there's a language barrier. So like looking at someone in a different community that's like crying and that's how they express their feelings. If you're not an individual that feels emotions that way, you're not going to, you're not going to take the time to learn from them because it's going to seem too different. You're not going to understand it. So it really just became about how do I make this language really clear? So the program, um, it does that. It helps them understand these are very textbook things that your body does. And then that's where we get some more. Um, I think that's where self-awareness is so important is it helps people understand themselves, which in turn helps them understand others. So do you have a bunch of different programs or a few different programs or is it just one program? We have, uh, we're multifaceted. So I feel like that's kind of a basic question, but we have training is our more is our preferred way of interacting with police officers. So we offer in service to um, in service training where we'll come to you and you'll get like a very kind of like basic classroom setting type of lesson where there's PowerPoints. Uh, but then there's also this component to the course where um, yes, you're there to get post credits, but at the end of it, we spend an hour and a half, learning how to do stretches, learning how to recover, putting your body through those practices so that you're developing these neural pathways in the actual class so that you walk away with tools and resources so that when these things do come up, you're like, okay, learn that. So training for sure is a really important aspect for it. So what type of training are we, are we talking about? Like, what is it that somebody's learning in a classroom? And uh, and it, it sounds like you're talking about the mind-body connection. By moving your body, it changes neural pathways. Am I on the right track? Absolutely. All right, well, tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so when they come into the training class, one, they get snacks. Let me just make sure to bring on the snacks. Snacks are important. Yeah. Dude, it's so funny because in the survey, we're like, what could, what should every mental health or resiliency program include? And it was like a resounding snacks. <laughs> well, those got Snickers commercials, you know, there's something to it. When somebody's hangry, that's not good. Oh, totally. Right. You got to like prime everybody. So you get snacks, um, but you get like a very um, kind of like bare bones and simplistic way of understanding the science behind why your body feels the way that it does after a significant amount of time 
in a job like this. And this pertains to any first responder um, type of role. So whether you're military, you're a nurse, whether you're EMT, firefighter, police, you're still going to experience very similar stress symptoms on your body because of how, how frequently you're exposed to stress and trauma. It's just unnatural. Like, I think like the statistics were like the average police officer sees um, just under 200 um, incidents that are like critical incidents in their career. And I'm like, a lot of folks would consider that to be a low number. That is astronomical. Most people in their life, they see two you know, if that some people go through their entire life without ever, ever seeing a critical incident, uh, any kind of gore whatsoever. And um, I think the first few that you see are the worst, and then the hardening happens. And then you change so that you can adapt to that environment. And you become a different person so that you can see the fourth or the 10th or the the 50th one. By the time you get to 200, you're a completely different person so that you can function in that environment. It's like growing gills so you can sw- <laughs> breathe underwater. You, know, yeah. you, you have to become a different person. Yeah. And essentially the program and sort of like our brand and what we do in social media is doing that exact same thing, but with healthier coping skills. So the way that you're trying to think ahead, 10, 15, whatever, but you're doing it in this very like survival way, we're doing it. Okay. How do we make the, if we're, if our goal and our vision is towards health and thriving and like sustainability, what are the steps that we need to take? What are the things that we need to envision and prepare for to get there? Right. Cause you're going to change. So what's the difference between trauma yoga or PTSD yoga and regular old yoga? Um, the intention behind it, right? Like if I, if I teach a yoga class, um, I'm thinking at it through the lens of I want my student to feel good physically. I want them to breathe. I want them to feel more grounded and walk out feeling more in a meditative state. When I'm working with a client that ha- and we're doing trauma yoga, I am helping them to identify the physical and the emotional areas in their body that are kind of like off limits. And that can be physical feeling. So instead of doing a lot of stretches, we'll do just a few. Um, if sensation is uncomfortable, we'll avoid that. Or if sensation helps someone feel more grounded or safe, we'll apply pressure to the body. So everything is just really different. And I don't, and I don't do that with police officers very frequently. Um, but anybody that I interact with, it's just going, what is it that you need from this moment, from whatever practice that we're doing? So for the most part, in a very broad kind of like superficial way, you get the training And then if you want to go deeper and develop that mindset and that resiliency, you can go further. And that's kind of where the trauma is and the healing is versus kind of that topical remedy that some folks are just, that's where they're at. It sounds like there's quite the mindfulness component to this. 100%. 100%. That's all that this is. Like, I'm not, like, I don't have any, like, new shit. (laughs) Like, like I'm not teaching anything fucking different. Like, I look at the same books at half the people who are in this wellness um, world or community are, but I've just spent so much time in that world. Cops have let me into that world that I'm able to 
provide accessibility just by changing some of the language. And, and that didn't happen without listening to the stories. So that trust was developed and now, you know, now it is where, you know, you see it or where anybody that pops onto the page sees it. Being aware of what's happening in your body is so critical. Uh, just the other day, yesterday actually, my wife and I were out golfing and there's a lot of um, uh, bad memories for me when it comes to golf and how I've been treated on a golf course by people that are all snooty. So my anxiety level was quite high. It took uh, about three or four holes before I realized, oh, I'm being chippy. I'm being chippy because of the environment that I'm in and I'm having trouble. So once I was able to vocalize that because of mindfulness and I said to my wife, uh, honey, just you know, I realize I'm being a touch chippy here. It's because my anxiety level is up here. I can't really explain why right now. We'll talk about it later. But my anxiety is up here, so I'm being a bit chippy. Soon as I said that, her anxiety came down. Now she doesn't feel like she, she's like, oh, that's why you're a bit off. And and plus myself is like, oh, now I can forgive myself and, you know, and, and act accordingly and, and adjust because of mindfulness. Now, is, is the work that you do help people get to that point in those moments? Yeah, I mean, like I would say, one, bravo, because that to me is like the fruit of a journey. <laughs> like you're clearly on a journey. <laughs> and I don't think that you get to that type of mindfulness without spending a significant amount of time like vulnerable and willing to deal with your shit. That being said, like it's it's a huge component because – your ability to be present in the moment is everything. Like if you don't, if you take just like, you know, your purpose and and your soul and mindfulness out of it, if you just think about your ability to have progress or be effective in the middle of conflict, just argument, right? Knowing what is not working. If you're not in like a state of cohesion or you're in your friggin' limbic brain, you're just all over the place and you're in your emotions, you're not effective. You're a liability. So that's just like very surface. But if you take it deeper, it's like, man, you starting to recognize, oh, this is what my body is doing right now. That must mean something. This also means that I'm probably impacting outside of myself. Like that's going deep and like expanding outside yourself. And I think that's really fucking cool. So yeah, that's, that's the goal is to, to help folks who are in um, first responder type of um, capacities to be able to do that with their limited capacity. That's kind of the, the, I think the chasm between where most of the world is and where a lot of first responders are, is there's this lack of time. Time is a privilege outside of those spaces. So you just don't have like the physical, the time to like physically rebound from those types of experiences or because of the, of how big and in, and surprising a lot of those experiences are, it's not like, oh, I can just go to sleep and my brain just kind of files it away and I got rid of what I didn't need and I take on what I do need. Like that stuff gets stuck and the average person doesn't. So, you know, I think it's important to recognize your schedules sometimes don't type of depth that some folks are able to get to. That being said, there's different ways that you can feel better. Tell me about NEBR. Yeah, non-emotion-based responsiveness. Um, 
So I made it an acronym because cops fucking love cops in the military. You guys love your acronyms for some reason. So I'm like, Oh, I need, I need to make my own. Um, <laughs> but essentially that's the personal de-escalation, um, self-awareness training, things like that, that officers have not been given that training that they deserve. So if you think about police officers are being called, right? You're in a family setting or whatever the situation is and something goes wrong that you can't handle. So you then pick up the phone and you call 911 and you're expecting someone to come out and solve that problem for you because you view them as that authority that has the decision because you guys can't, right? So that officer shows up. Their job is to not bring how they feel about the conflict Their job is to not bring how they feel about their family problems earlier that day. Their job is to show up clear-headed, level, you know, level-minded, whatever. And that's really hard to do if you aren't aware of the physical impacts of stress. These things aren't, these things that get in the way of, of police officers really like fulfilling that role you know, it's, if you don't get the ability to understand why you would have obsessive thinking or why you would have negative thinking or why you're able to think clearly, you're going to think that it's you or you're going to avoid it rather than just being able to like face it completely in a non-judgmental, matter-of-fact way. I am experiencing and that could be whatever emotion, right? If you, if you're taught how to understand that, then you're going to feel towards it and you don't need to so the non-emotion based responsiveness is helping officers identify things that trigger them how they behave when they're emotionally triggered how to de-accelerate their body when they're in a heightened emotional state how to verbalize and identify those emotions and feelings so that they can do something different in the future I keep hearing mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness. It, it, it's really self-awareness. And it's, it's, it's funny because the people, yeah. uh, everybody thinks, I'm self-aware. I know who I am. No, you don't. <laughs> people don't. And getting to a point where you actually understand the true you and even what that means and being able to accept the difference between who you think you are and who you actually are, that is a struggle and a half and requires some real evolution and some inner, a lot of time looking inside. It's, um, it is really something. I'm actually developing a coaching program all around that. It's understanding who you actually are, the true you, and uh, how to love that person and then how to act accordingly. It's a simple three-step process, but simple doesn't mean easy. It's the toughest thing in the world to do, to, to accept those concepts. And it's because of the, the world that we live in telling us to suck it up, buttercup, and tell, telling us that we are our rules. I'm a cop. No, that's something that you do. I'm a veteran. That's something that you did. You know, it's as opposed to I am uh, I am creation. I am somebody who is experiencing this world and just trying to get by and survive. And you are the same person of when you were the moment that you were born and you were, you were looked at as though the moon and the stars all revolved around you because they did and they still 
do. You haven't lost any points. You just forgot who you actually are. You forgot your own worth. And uh, getting to that point, uh, that's that's the key for self-love. And to be truly mindful and aware of your surroundings, you have to truly be able to to, to love yourself. And in a profession where it's nothing but selfless, uh, selflessness, you know, where you sacrifice yourself for others, uh, self-love is... <laughs> It's a challenge and a half. Well, I think that self-love is kind of really our first moment of like being intentional. Cause I tend to look at the past as going like, I didn't, I don't know that I've ever thought of, I don't know that I think about it as me forgetting who I am rather where we're born at in time. So that's that part of the, we do and destigmatizing this stuff is I really believe that if people can stop anchoring themselves to having participation in not knowing some of this stuff, I think that a lot more progress will be had. I think that we're about two generations out of people being born just automatically being taught out of the womb who to look for who they are, to like not, you know, where parents aren't automatically projecting their parents' stuff and their parents' stuff and their parents' stuff onto them. We're in this, in, in terms of the span of time, we're in this place where we're having to undo a lot because we just didn't know how all of that stuff really impacted us long-term. So when I'm, when I'm interacting with officers, I'm just going, hey man, we're learning all this stuff together. Unfortunate thing is, because we're adults and creatures of habit, we spend a lot of time being unconscious in terms of we've got this program that's just running in the background so that we have to do less work. So the hard part is breaking some of that code and and looking at it and identifying which parts of that code work for me and which ones don't. Because the ones that don't, that's the programming that came from the world, from my job, from my parents, from my friends whatever. And we don't need that. All of that gets in the way of like being a fucking police officer. Like if that's who you want to be. And most of the folks that I'm speaking with are, they're coming from like these, they grew up with these stories or, or law enforcement just meant something to their family. And so they're out there trying to fulfill this purpose, but law enforcement has just changed so drastically and will forever be different that I believe folks deserve the opportunity to look at some of this stuff, including policing, and go, what what of this stuff serves us, us included, civilians and police officers, and what doesn't? And if it doesn't, how do we kind of move away from that in a careful, like, responsible way and, and also find ways to support ourselves in the meantime? So I think everyone deserves self-awareness because that's going to enable us to have these larger harder conversations like i mean reform restructuring police whatever you want to call it we got to do it one of uh, on your website you talk about relevance and police and communities of color what sort of work are you doing there like how are you helping in in that space that's actually the motivation in and engaging officers in a candid way about their experiences. So in 2017, there is a, or maybe it was the end of 2016, there was a shooting that really impacted me personally. Um, and it was, uh, it was an unarmed black male and it was a police officer, very typical of what you would see today. And it just rocked me. 
And at that time, I had already been doing this job for four years and I hadn't really felt emotion towards that. So I didn't know why this was any different. So I started and just asked questions and mostly to officers of color, help me understand what's going on. Cause there's some things that don't make sense. There's some language that I'm starting to hear that makes me uncomfortable that doesn't feel right, that like defensive language that I'm hearing that's now starting to hurt me. And I'm going, whoa, I thought we were fam. Like, what's going on? So I start interviewing officers of color. What needs to change? What hasn't worked? Where are we going? What's wrong? That's when I started hearing this, the, the trauma. Trauma, 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 trauma. Everyone has trauma. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's, the all thing, the- it's the thing that unites us all. 100%. Like trauma, I read this quote. It was trauma is the ultimate gateway drug. I was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, ain't that about it, bitch? Because that places so much responsibility on everybody. Like the problems in our community, <laughs> like drug addiction that happens when we have unresolved trauma and we don't have resources to deal with it. Like it is fascinating how science is catching up to the woo woo, you know, um, people keep, Oh, that's just woo woo. You know, that, that, that's hippie shit. Uh, well, science keeps saying, keeps giving credence to Eastern philosophies, um, and spiritual ideas. Uh, right. Now we are learning about quantum physics and all, all kinds of things that, that is giving, um, now it's credibility to the uh, so-called woo-woo. It's like, oh, geez, you know, maybe it's, th- there's something to it. Maybe all the spiritual well, stuff is something we should actually, uh, it's got some efficacy and we should pay more attention and not be so quick to dismiss it. Well, I think, you know, I also wonder is it about credibility or is it again about accessibility? Mm. If your brain, if you can't see yourself, if that doesn't make sense to you and you don't feel like your lives mirror one another, you're not going to get it. But if somebody makes it accessible to you and you can wrap your brain around it, if you require data, which is, that's all that I've done, right? This group of people who are typically type A, who are also, who, who in order to thrive like boundaries and structure, I had to create this program that broke down the science and made fucking PowerPoints and made it a post certified program and got the certificates and whatever. It's just a accessibility. It makes sense now to them. And they're like, Oh, and we're like, yes, mindful. I mean, yes. Non-emotion-based responsiveness, yes. <laughs> do you do work outside of Arizona? Yes, yeah. So we're we're an international organization. We're a nonprofit. We're sponsored by a larger nonprofit here in Arizona. Um, and we're one of their fiscally sponsored non-projects. Non-pro- uh, and we are international in terms of training. Um, my main focus as far as the mission to bridge communities of colors with, uh, with um, officers, that's in America, but it is a global conversation in terms of equality and, and how we all deserve to look at the rules that govern where we reside. We all deserve to understand the stories that have gotten us there. And we all deserve to talk about where we want to go. That just makes sense. How can people uh, find you and get a hold of you? 
tacmobility.org is a great place. Um, if you're on social media, um, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, or all the places. Well, fantastic. The, the work you're doing is so important and timely. I think over the last just five years, really recently, the conversation about policing and mindfulness and self-care and yoga has changed a lot. And I, I think we're past the early adopter stage and we're, there's more and more people that are opening their minds and their hearts mm-hmm. to taking care of themselves properly and not drinking themselves into oblivion as the way to medicate and to deal. And um, thank you so much for, for the work that you do, Erica. Yeah, man, it's all about tools. Alcohol is is just a tool. And if you if that's the only tool in your toolbox, you're going to fucking use it because you know something's wrong. <laughs> so I'm glad we can be here. Yeah, it's good. I bet. Um, please stay in the line and we'll close out. You are listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. everybody thanks for tuning in now i've got a favor to ask you and i know everybody asks for the same favor but it's really really important if you can help do your little bit by going to apple podcasts leaving a rating and a comment that would be awesome also on your favorite podcast platform whether that be spotify anchor google podcasts or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back please click follow and if there's an option there for rating please do so and this is why every time you click like leave a rating leave a comment what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast the help that you can't find doesn't help at all so help other people find this so that they can help themselves thank you thank you thank you and as always share share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring